Hello everybody, my name is Angie and I am here to bring you the stories of things you wouldn't want to experience, even in your worst nightmares. Now the following podcast contains explicit language and content which may be offensive to some listeners or inappropriate for children. The following is intended for mature audiences only. Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good night, depending on whenever you're listening to this. Thank you for coming back and tuning in with me to listen to one of my stories that I wanted to share with you guys. I just wanted to thank everybody for the last episode for all the love and support and just all the positive things that were shared with me after my first episode. It really makes me feel loved and supported and I truly just want to thank all of the listeners uh, for supporting me in this new adventure. Um, So here I am back today to share a different story with you because I was originally planning to do Israel Keys. However, that case is kind of big, so I probably will be splitting that episode into two or three parts. And I have a friend that works with the police who let me know that I could actually, excuse me, request records from APD, but it can get a little spending because it's such a large case. I just want to make sure that I, when I bring you this story that I'm bringing, to you, bringing it to you as accurately as possible and as detailed fill that I can to give you the best experience. But for today, we're going to be shifting to a different type of killer. This man's name is Adolfo Constanzo. This man is known to be one of the most horrifying cult murderers of modern times. His specialty was in ritually torturing and killing his victims. He would literally rip out hearts and brains and boil them and eat them. Yeah. The purpose of all of this was to ensure success in his career as a drug dealer. Adolfo de Jesus Constanzo was born November 1st, 1962. A Scorpio, but not the type of Scorpios that I mess with. Okay. In Miami, Florida, to a teenage mother named... Just kidding, I don't have her name. Constanzo's father... <laughs> Constanzo's father died when he was just an infant, but his mother went on to remarry and have two more children. In San Juan, Puerto Rico, Constanzo was baptized Catholic and briefly served as an altar boy. He would accompany his mother on trips to Haiti, where he learned voodoo with his mom and practiced in secret. Constanzo's family moved back to Miami in 1972, where his stepfather died the following year. At the age of 10, he became an apprentice to a sorcerer, and he began to practice the occult African religion of Palo Mayombe. Palo Las Reglas de Congo is an African diasporic religion that developed in Cuba during the 19th or early 20th century. It rose through the process of synchronism between the traditional Congo religion of Central Africa, the Roman Catholic religion, and Spiritism. Around this time, Constanza's mother married for the second time, but this time to a man involving uh, or who was involved in the drug trade, and in voodoo religions. Constanzo spent his teens cruising gay clubs and committing petty crimes with his mother. He was also into fortune-telling. He supposedly predicted that there would be an unsuccessful attempt on the life of Ronald Reagan, which did indeed happen shortly afterwards. But the whole situation was just, you know, circumstantial. He did graduate from high school, but was expelled from a prep school at one point. In 1983, at 21 years old, Constanzo pledged himself to Cariem Pembe, 
the Palo Mayombe equivalent of the devil, and moved to Mexico City and met the men who would become his first followers. We have Martin Quintana, Jorge Montes, and Omar Orea. With these men, he did set up a sexual menage a trois with Quintana and Orea, calling one of his men um, his man and the other one his woman. Consenso ran a profitable business casting spells to bring good luck, which involved sacrifices, very expensive sacrifices, of chickens, goats, snakes, zebras, and even lion clubs. Many of Consenso's theatrics drew in rich drug dealers who were turned on by the violence. Uh, rich members of the Mexican society were also attracted to his magical displays, which included high-ranking policemen. I smell corruption. When I say corruption, I mean corruption with a capital C. And I may be jumping a little bit ahead, but I just wanted to get into some of the prices that Consenso was charging for some of these sacrifices. He had regular customers, and all of this was discovered in his journals that were recovered after he had died. Sometimes he was charging up to $4,500 for one single ceremony. He created a menu of sacrificial beasts for his clients with roosters going for $6 a head, goats for about 30, boa constrictors at $450, adult zebras for $1,100, and African lion cubs listed at $3,100 each. It was Constanzo's priority to basically charm uh, wealthy drug dealers and he would be helping them with scheduling shipments and meetings based on his predictions. For a good price, he offered magic that would quote-unquote make dealers and their hitmen invisible to police and bulletproof against their enemies, as I did air quotes when I said that. All of this was nonsense, of course, but smugglers drawn from Mexican peasant stock with a background in brujeria were strongly inclined to believe in this magic. So, according to his ledgers, uh, one dealer in Mexico City paid him $40,000 for magical services rendered to him over three years' time. And at those rates, the customers most definitely demanded a show, and Constanzo recognized that there was a folly in disappointing these men who were carrying submachine guns and their armor-plated limousines. So, strong medicine required strong ingredients so he wasn't going for your basic herbs by 1985 him and his disciples were starting to raid mexico city graveyards for human bones to start his own inganga the traditional cauldron of blood employed by practitioners of palo mayombe the rituals and the shrouded mysteries surrounding consanso were powerful enough to lure cross-section of mexican society and with his clique of disciples, including a physician, a real estate speculator, fashion models, and several nightclub performers. At first glance, the most peculiar aspect of Consanzo's new career was the appeal he seemed to be having for ranking law enforcement officers. At least four members of the federal judicial police joined Consanzo's cult in Mexico City. One of them, Salvador Gar Garcia, was a commander in charge of narcotics investigations. Another, Florentino Ventura, retired from the Federal, Federal guys, I can't talk, Federales, to lead the Mexican branch of Interpol. 
In a country where bribery, mordida, permeates all levels of law enforcement and federal officers sometimes serve as a triggerman for, uh, for drug smugglers, corruption is not unusual. But the devotion of consensus followers ran deeper than cash on the line. In or out of uniform, they worshipped Adolfo as a minor god in his own right, their living conduit in the spirit world. By 1986, Florentino Ventura introduced Consanso to the drug-dealing Carzada family, who was then one of Mexico's dominant narcotic cartels. Consanso won the hard-nosed dealers over with his charm and, quote-unquote, mumbo-jumbo that he was serving, profiting immensely from his contacts with the gang. By early 1987, he was able to pay $60,000 in cash for a condominium in Mexico City, and buying himself a fleet of luxury cars that included an $80,000 Mercedes-Benz. Now, Consanso was also doing things on his own. Once he was posing as a DEA agent to rip off a coke dealer in Guadalajara, selling the stash through his police contacts for a cool $100,000. Eventually, Consanso began to feed his inganga, the cauldron that I just mentioned earlier, with the offering of human sacrifice. There was no final tally for his victims, but at least 23 ritual murders are well documented, and Mexican authorities point to a rash of unsolved mutilation slings around Mexico City and elsewhere, suggesting that Consanso's known victims may only represent the tip of a malignant iceberg. In any case, his willingness to torture and kill total strangers, along with close friends, duly impressed the ruthless drug dealers who remained his foremost clients. In the course of a year's association, Consanso came to believe that his magical powers alone were responsible for the Carrizada's family's continued success and survival. In April of 1987, he demanded a full partnership in the syndicate and was curtly refused. On the surface, Consanso seemed to take the rejection in stride, but his devious mind was working overtime, plotting revenge. On April 30th, Guillermo Casada and six members of his household vanished under mysterious circumstances. They were reported missing on May 1st, police noting melted candles and other evidence of a strange religious ceremony at Casada's office. Six more days went by before police officers began fishing mutilated remains from the Zumbango River. Seven corpses were recovered in the course of a week, all bearing marks of sadistic torture. Fingers, toes, and ears were removed, and hearts and sex organs excised. Part of the spine was ripped of uh, ripped from one body. Two others were missing their brains. The vanished parts, as it turns out, had gone to feed Consanzo's cauldron of blood, building up his strength for greater, greater conquests yet to come. Now, in July of 1987, Salvador Garcia introduced Consanso to another drug-running family. This one was led by brothers Elio and Ovidio Hernandez. By the end of the month, Consanso had also met 22-year-old Sara Alvarete, a Mexican national with resident alien status in the United States, where she attended college in Brownsville, Texas. Adolfo charmed Sara with his, you know charming personality um, but also with flirting with her because her birthday was also on September 6th which was the same day as his mother and him being him he just thought this was amazing 
Sarah was actually just dating somebody else, though, and that somebody else just also happened to be a drug dealer or drug smuggler named Gilberto Sosa at the time. But she somehow found herself in bed with Consenso. Really weird. And her boyfriend found out and was not happy about this. So um, he was tipped off with an anonymous call and he ended up breaking up with her, throwing her out, and she had nowhere to turn at this point. So she ended up deciding to fully plunge herself into Consenso's world, emerging as the madrina, or who we call a godmother, or the head witch of his cult, adding her own twist to the torture of sacrificial victims. I need to slow down because I can't talk today. So Consenso's rituals became more elaborate and a lot more sadistic after he moved his headquarters to a Plata's desert called Rancho Santa Elena that was 20 miles away from Matamoros. On May 28, 1988, drug dealer Hector de la Fuente and farmer Moises Castillo were executed by gunfire, but Constanzo was very disappointed in, in this because he thought that the sacrifice was just too basic. So him being upset, he sent his disciples back in Mexico City to go dismember a trans person named Ramon Escobar and dump his body out on the public street corner. Now, his luck was holding on strong, and Constanzo narrowly escaped when Houston police raided a drug house in June of 1988, seizing numerous items of occult paraphernalia and the city's largest ever shipment of cocaine. So Constanzo was definitely in the habit of doing a lot of human sacrificing and ritual bloodletting, and all this was for prayers for his inganga. His human sacrifice also had a practical side as... When competing uh, smuggler Ezekiel Luna was tortured to death at Rancho Santa Elena on February 14th, two other dealers just happened to wander into the ceremony uninvited, and they promptly found themselves on the menu. And so sometimes Constanzo would just randomly demand for a human sacrifice on the spur of the moment, and his followers would not even question it. They would gladly join the hunt party, and one of his followers actually decided to pick off their own 14-year-old cousin in the heat of the moment with no rhyme and no reason. On March 13, 1989, Consanso sacrificed another victim on the, on the ranch, but this time he was severely disappointed because his prey did not scream nor plead for mercy like he, his other victims usually did. Disgruntled, he ordered another human sacrifice for another ritual, and his minions ran out with no questions asked, and they ended up abducting the wrong person. This person that they ended up abducting was 21-year-old Mark Kilroy outside of Matamoros Saloon. The sacrifice went well enough, followed two weeks later by the butchery of Sarah's old boyfriend, but the Kilroy's disappearance marked the beginning of the end for Consenso's homicidal family. Mark Kilroy was a popular pre-med student from Texas, and he was not some peasant, or some small-time pusher, or somebody from one of the nightclubs that Constanzo was used to kidnapping. And this man could not disappear without a, a trace or investigation into his fate because he came from a pretty wealthy family that was going to look into where he went. With the family members and the Texas uh, politicians turning up the heat, the search for Kilroy rapidly assumed the trappings of an international incident. And this would be the end for Constanzo as his own disciplines would eventually also lead to his own downfall. (laughs) 
By late uh, March 1989, Mexican authorities were busy with one of their periodic anti-drug campaigns where they would put up roadblocks and then they would start sweeping the border looking for smugglers. Well, on April 1st, Victor um, Suacera, who was an ex-cop who happened to turn into a gangster, was sacrificed on the ranch and the spirit message that Constanza received was optimistic enough for his troops to move on his behalf. A half ton of marijuana across the border um, several nights later. But this was not a good reading because the magic started to unravel after this. On April 9th, returning from Brownsville, Texas, meeting with Consanso, Coltis Serafin Hernandez drove past a police roadblock without stopping, ignoring the cars that were set off in hot pursuit. Hernandez truly believed that he was invisible. He was so into the belief that he was untouchable that he even got out of the car and threatened the police officers to shoot him because he said that the bullets would just bounce right off of him. Mind you, this is the message that Consanso has been selling for years. The police did not shoot him. They arrested him. <laughs> um, they also arrested David Martinez and they drove both of them back to the ranch where a preliminary search turned up marijuana and firearms. Disciple, disciple Elio Hernandez and Sergio Martinez stumbled into the net while police were on hand and all four prisoners were interrogated through the evening, revealing their tales of black magic, torture, and human sacrifice, and they were just disgustedly proud of it. When the police returned to the ranch in the morning, they ended up uncovering the shed where Constanzo kept his inganga. It was covered in blood, spiders, scorpions, a dead black cat, a turtle shell, there was bones, deer antlers, and a human brain. Then they were uh, taken to Constanzo's private ceremony and then the excavation began of the site where it revealed 15 mutilated corpses by April 16th. In addition to Mark Kilroy and other victims already named, the body count included two renegade federal narcotic officers, Juan King Manso and Miguel Garcia, along with three men who were never identified. The hunt for Constanzo was on at this point and the police raided his home at, at, uh, at the... <laughs> oh my god. At the Zapan, outside Mexico City, on April 17th, discovering stockpiles of gay pornography and in hidden ritual chamber. The discoveries at the ranch made international headlines and sightings of Constanzos were reported as far away as, as Chicago, but in fact, he was actually in Mexico City, hiding out in a small apartment with Sarah and three other disciples. On May 2nd, thinking to save himself, Sarah tossed a note out the window. It read, Please call the judicial police and tell them that in this building are those that are they are seeking. Give them the address, fourth floor. Tell them that a woman is being held hostage. I beg for this because this is what I want most is to talk or they're going to kill the girl. A passerby found the note and kept the note to himself. Wow. Believing it to be someone's lame attempt at humor. On May 6th, neighbors called police to complain of a loud, vulgar argument in Constanza's apartment which some did say that they heard gunshots. When police officers arrived, Constanzo opened fire with an Uzi, touching off a 45-minute battle in which, miraculously, only one police officer was wounded. When Constanzo realized that he wasn't going to be able to escape from any of this, he handed the weapon to one of his followers, who was also known as a professional hitman, and told him that he needed him to do a favor. He told his follower he needed him to kill himself and Martin um, 
His follower later said, I told him I couldn't do it, but he hit me in the face and threatened me that everything would go bad for me in hell. Then he hugged Martin and I just stood in front of them and shot them with a machine gun. Consanso and Quintana were dead when the police stormed the apartment, arresting the, the hitman and Sarah. In the aftermath of the raid, 14 cultists were indicted on various charges, including multiple murder, weapons, and narcotic violations, conspiracy, and an obstruction of justice. In August of 1990, um, the hitman, who was also known as El Dubi, was convicted of killing Constanzo and Quintana, drawing a 30-year prison term. Cultists Juan Fragosa and Jorge Montes were both convicted in the Ramon Esquivel murder and sentenced to 35 years each. Omar Orrea, convicted in the same case, died of AIDS before he could be sentenced. Sarah was acquitted of Constanzo's murder, but sentenced to a six-year term on conviction of criminal association. She was nearing the, uh, the end of her sentence in 1994 when her long-delayed trial on multiple murder charges brought another conviction and a 60-year prison term. Police in Mexico are still uncertain of Constanzo's final body count. Some officers are trying to clear every ritualistic murder on the books by blaming Constanzo. On the other hand, in June of 1989, Martin Quintana's sister told police that Adolfo's first madrina was still at large, practicing her blood magic in Guadalajara. And from jail before he died, Omar Horea said, I don't think that the religion will end with us because it has a lot of people in it. They have found a temple in Monterrey that isn't even related to us. It will continue. Well, everybody, that is the end of today's episode. Thank you for sticking out with me uh, while listening to this insane story. I just think it's kind of interesting that, you know, this story involved magic and just how all these men that deal with some very serious crimes truly believed in this spells that or in the spells that were casted for them that would make them invisible or impenetrable and it's just like if you truly believe in yourself you can really accomplish anything well i found this story in a book of mine called serial killers and psychopaths true life cases that shock the world by charlotte gregg and john marlowe it is a pretty thick book. Um, I have the paperback copy version of it, and it gives me some really interesting insights into some other uh, killers around the world that are not so known. And I guess that is probably where I'm going to try to lead this podcast going forward is bringing you cases that are not so known. I'm trying to stay away from cases like Ted Bundy and John Wayne Gacy, because in my personal opinion, I kind of feel like they're overdone. However, Israel Keys is one that I am focusing on only because I lived um, through the time period where he was in Anchorage, Alaska. I was a teenager. I was about 19 years old when he came to Alaska and he had kidnapped Samantha Koenig at the time and she was going missing. I was going to college at UAA, uh, the University of Anchorage, Alaska, and I just remember seeing so many missing posters of her hearing so many different family rumors and there was a spike in self-defense classes for women and the coffee huts were being watched vigilantly by people and so that case hits home for me because it was like the first time where I was like oh my god there is something serious happening in my town so that one I will be doing I don't know when I will be publishing that particular episode but be on the lookout but if you want to keep following me you can find me on Instagram at uh, Nightly Nightmares with an S podcast. 
Or you can find me on TikTok at Nightwing Nightmares. Uh, that one right now does not have an S because I messed up. <laughs> Podcast. Um, if you want to send me suggestions or send me an email, you can send me an email at Nightly Nightmares with an S. <laughs> Podcast at gmail.com. And I hope to catch you on next week's episode. So I guess I will probably be doing an episode or two a week. I'm kind of addicted to this. So I guess I'll see you next week. All right. Toodles.